2: And you're on right now with Jim Dawes, your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an American nationalist perspective. You can listen to this show on demand anytime on Spreaker, iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify. And just about everywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Right Now Jim Dawes or email me at Right Now Jim Dawes at gmail.com. Want to call into the show, leave a voicemail to use on a future broadcast? Call in at 772 245 0750. That's 772 245 0750. If you've got something interesting to say, just leave your message there and we'll use it on a future broadcast. Of course, you can listen to this show live each weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern Time on the Mojo Five O radio network. Well, it's pretty clear now that the 2020 presidential campaign has begun in earnest. Uh, the, the left-wing cable networks at CNN and MSNBC have actually been providing free uh, campaign commercials Long form, hour-long campaign commercials for uh, many of the Democrat candidates, and um, they ought to have to you know declare these and offer equal time, but uh, they're formatting these as town halls, and there's you know they're uh, hosting them with uncritical uh, hosts that uh, just swallow all of the left-wing cult Marxist talking points whole. Uh, without any, you know, real pushback, could you imagine if they had the president of the United States on there, it would be, uh, they'd try to slaughter him, but, uh, to president Trump's great credit, he has taken the opportunity of the conclusion of the, uh, Mueller witch hunt to, uh, to go on the campaign and trail himself. He had that outstanding rally in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where he was really in top form and, uh, if you thought Trump was uh, forced during the twenty sixteen presidential can, uh, campaign, you really ought to watch uh, what he's what he's doing now. He was really he's got a lot of uh, accomplishments to brag about. He's got a lot of campaign promises that he's kept, and he's got some that he has not been able to keep. Uh, most particularly on the border, because of the intransigence of the Democrat Party, and he is going to. Use that as a cudgel in twenty twenty to beat them over the head with so um on today's show, well, first, I need to tell you that later on we're going to have Victor Davis Hansen in our uh in the second half hour of this show, and you do not want to miss that interview. Victor Davis is probably the most articulate and insightful uh voice on the scene right now. Uh, defending Trump, his presidency, and the the uh, deplorables de- that elected him and continue to support him. So um, you definitely want to stay tuned for that. In the first half hour, we're gonna we're gonna go through a recent speech that Trump gave to the National Republican Campaign Committee, uh, because it, one it wasn't covered very extensively in the left-wing media, in which that is to say 94% of the media, and the coverage it did get over there on Fox was sort of cursory. And, and really, this, uh, this speech that he gave deserved far more attention, and I intend to give it here because it was a tour de force of, uh, of Trump in, uh, in great form and hitting on all the campaign themes that the Republicans need to concentrate on in uh, in uh, 2019 and 2020, uh, as the Democrats are, you know, doing their debates, where they're going to have. So far, I think we're up to 17 declared candidates for the Democrat nomination at this point. They're actually going to do two nights in a row of debates because none of the candidates, really, except for Joe Biden and and uh, Bernie Sanders, have enough um, polling numbers to justify putting them on stage. And that is largely a, a function of there's so many of them that they're just dividing up the pie so small, but they're the Democrats are planning on just having two successive nights uh, of campaigns. So I guess at this point they would have, uh, they would have eight and seven on the stage. Uh, and they're going to, you know, they're going to get a lot of attention. Now the I, the idea is that they're going to be get, getting the attention with, are going to be absolute ridiculous if they haven't toned it down by then, and uh, with the complicity of their their uh, left wing media mouthpieces, uh, been able to disguise themselves as uh, somehow in the mainstream. But I'm going to play you extended clips from this speech that Trump gave at the National Republican Campaign Committee. It's going to take up this whole uh, first segment, and if we don't finish, we'll get uh, we'll get back to it after. We lead the second half hour with Victor Davis Hanson, and uh, just to show you how comfortable and uh, talented really Trump has become on the on the stump, I'm going to start uh, with just a little bit of his warm up before he actually gets to the major issues. This is Trump commenting uh, at the very beginning of his speech uh, to the to the NRCC on um, on what I would. Te- uh, Uh, deem the voter fraud that the Democrats engaged in uh, with these, uh, these late votes and vote harvesting and these other schemes that they've put forward in these Democrat controlled States. It's one of the reasons they're so determined to uh, do away with the, the, um, um, Oh shoot. I'll think of it in a second. The, the uh, camp, uh, the, the electoral college, pardon me. Uh, they're so determined to do away with the electoral college because they uh, they have basically captured the electoral systems in California and New York, and they it, it's suffering from massive voter fraud, and they want those votes to count, um, you know, toward an electoral uh, to, uh, toward a popular vote victory by doing away with the electoral college. So here's Trump starting off his speech talking about uh, the curious uh, way that all of the close elections fell to Democrats, every single one of them in the last election.
1: You're going to watch those vote tallies. You know, I keep hearing about uh, the election and the, the various uh, county measures that they have. There, there were, a, were lot a lot of close elections, elections that were, they seemed to every, every single one of them, went when Democrat. Democrat. If it was close, they say the Democrats there's something going on. From, you got to, hey, you got to be a little bit more paranoid than you are. Okay, look all these beautiful people, these beautiful Republican Congressmen and, and women. women. But, but we have, have to be, be a little bit careful because I don't like the way the votes are being tallied. I don't like it, and you don't like it either. You just don't want to say it because you're afraid of the press. you are afraid of the press, so we have to be careful.
2: Well, you used that word paranoia back there, uh, and the old saying is that uh, just because you're paranoid doesn't really mean people are out to get you. And the truth of the matter is uh, the vote harvesting uh, that went on in California is a national scandal. Just because the media doesn't cover it doesn't make it less so. You know, you got Stacey Abrams down there in Georgia running around saying that uh, the uh, the election was stolen from her with absolutely zero proof and this is one of the democrats tactics they they uh, they claim voter suppression and voter fraud on the part of the republicans in order to deflect attention from the actual voter fraud and illegal alien voting that they have got going on in their uh, the states that they control but uh trump as as a warm up you know trying uh before he actually got to the topics that are going to be uh front and center in 2020 uh, called out Steve Scalise, and I, I just want to play this for you to show you know what a good-natured and, uh, and decent fellow uh, Trump really is.
1: I especially want to thank the rest of this terrific House Republican leadership team, including Republican Whip, the bravest man in this room, a man who played second base in a game where a shot was hit to, he had zero range. You know, the Yankees had a guy, Bobby Richardson. They say he had the widest range of anybody. He couldn't get a ball anywhere. Go back to shortstop. He was a second baseman. He had the greatest range of anybody. Steve Scalise had the least range of anybody in the best. Second. And I watched that game, and I said, oh, my God, a shot was hit the second. It was hit hard. A really hard ground ball. And he got down, he blocked that sucker, and he then picked it up and, up, and he threw it the, the first. first. I said, is it's this a movie we're watching? You know, the, the first pitch. And Steve Kelly, and look at him, Steve Phillips has courage. courage. I was with him that night and his incredible family, his wife, and he wasn't, he wasn't looking so good. And in a short while, and the, the doctor, doctor said he wasn't looking so good, he wasn't such a great prognosis you why like, than anybody else Steve Scalise, where is Steve? Where is Steve? Thank you, man. Thank you.
2: Could you imagine if a Trump supporter, a MAGA hat-wearing um, lunatic, had shown up at the Democrats' congressional baseball practice and shot five people with the intention of committing mass murder and actually wounded a congressman, we'd still be hearing about it all the time. There, there would be no end to it. But the Republicans acted in magnanimity. Uh, they, they said that Bernie Sanders, who, you know, James T. Hodgkinson was a, uh, a a fervent Bernie bro. They said they left Bernie off the hook. He wasn't responsible for whipping up um, James Hodgkinson with his, his talk about... Uh, if you elect uh, republicans uh they're gonna kill people and and all of this over the top rhetoric they they uh, said you know it wasn't Bernie's fault of course they weren't uh they weren't repaid with that in kind when uh, that uh, uh that lunatic trump supporter mailed the fake fake pipe bombs. They continue to say that he mailed pipe bombs there there were none of these bombs that were actually um explosive they were dummy bombs but uh you know they were they were not the republicans were not given the benefit of the doubt the way the republicans extended that to bernie uh sanders when one of their uh one of his supporters actually showed up and shot people but i digress so here's the point in uh trump's speech where he he gets to the issues uh that are going to win uh him the presidency and if the Republicans have any sense at all, they'll get on board with these, uh, these broad themes and retake the House as well. But as Trump said in that top clip, they're going to have to get more vigilant about defending the sanctity of the ballot. We can't have Republican votes canceled out by these illegal, uh, unconstitutional um, voters and vote Schemes that the Democrats are engaged in, we're going to have to be more vigilant. But uh, Trump starts out on uh, his his uh, biggest accomplishment, and that is the economy.
1: So our bold agenda, we enacted with House Republicans. America now has the hottest economy anywhere in the world. We're the hottest in the world. Wherever I meet a president, a prime minister, anybody, they say congratulations on and since our election, we've created more than 5.3 million new jobs, including half a million jobs, and that number's going up to about 618,000 jobs very soon. These are manufacturing jobs that President Obama said will never happen. You need a magic wand. It's not going to happen. Well, it's happening. We have the magic wand. And more than 5 million Americans have been lifted off of food stamps because we have jobs now. Think of that. The numbers are staggering—five 5 million off of food stamps. And after years of stagnation, wages are rising fast, and the lowest-paid workers are making the biggest gains. This is something that you got to The lowest-paid people are actually doing the best. You don't hear that. You hear wealthy people. The
2: lowest-paid people are doing the best. And he needs to, and the Republicans also need to hammer that point home, that this was after decades of stagnation where the middle class and the lowest-paid workers continually lost ground. And finally, uh, Trump has illustrated through his deregulation and tax policies that the best social program by far, is a job. The truth is, people don't want to be on the government dole. They want meaning and and texture to their life, and that is brought about in dignity, and that is brought about by actually having a job and earning um, a, a good wage and having opportunities to advance. And that's what Trump is uh, and these economic policies have uh, made possible.
1: People are working now that time in the history of our country, $160 million, almost 100 million. And unemployment has reached the lowest rate in 51 years. Think of that one. I mean, when you're on a stage debating, you know, when I did this the first time, I'm debating, I never debated like a professional. My life is debating, my life is a debate, but I'm debating all of these people that I never saw before never left But I had to say when we did other things, but we have not done it. Now it's going to be so much easier because now we can say we did all these things that I said and we did more. A commentator who's a Trump hater said recently, whether you like him or not, he's actually done more things than he promised. It's true. We've done more things than he promised. Many more. Like this one. African-American unemployment Hispanic American unemployment, Asian American unemployment, and you know this because you heard me say it and other people say it, and veteran unemployment, that's a great one, have all reached the lowest rates ever recorded in the history of our country. I mean, how do you feel? When they talk about African-American and what they want to do, I say, well, I have not much to say except that we've just hit the absolute lowest unemployment rate for African-Americans in the history of our country. That's all I have to say. Goodbye, everybody. We won the debate, right? We won the
2: debate. That's a mic drop moment, uh, as as they say. But, uh, you know, I, I started to cut out that uh, that part about the lowest uh ever, unemployment for, uh, for minorities. But, uh, but we've also got this new figure because the, I started to cut it because uh, it has been played so much. I never get tired of hearing it myself because this is the way that you not, unite a country. You have broad, shared prosperity. And finally, Trump has uh, revved the economy so much that everybody's being able to take part. Anybody that wants to can find a good job and uh, at rising wages, now the Democrats are trying desperately to tear this down through their open borders policies, but Trump is uh, fighting on that front as well. But the the great thing that he mentioned right there is uh, is that our veterans are being uh, employed in the greatest numbers in history. And that is, uh, you know, there ought to be a job for every returning veteran and finally, um, you know we we 've uh, enacted policies that make that happen as well, and on the flip side, you know Trump can uh, tout his accomplishments on the economy and skewer the prescriptions that are coming forward from the uh, the Democrats that have gone so far in the direction of Bernie Sanders that they don't even try to hide the fact that they 're socialist anymore.
1: It would be interesting to see. But don't underestimate the power of socialism to get above. It's what happens over a 10-year period when the country is destroyed. But they don't care about that. When they say, we're going to give you free education, we're going to give you free health care, we're, we're going to not have you pay your loans to college, we're going to give you free everything. Everything is free. It's very seductive to people. It's not going to be so easy like you think. Now, in 10 years, it's going to be easy when the country goes to hell. Because that's what happens. The country goes to hell. happened many times. Look at Venezuela. I mean, this was the richest country in that whole heaven. I mean, outside of us, it was one of the richest countries in the world. And now they have no food. They have no electricity. They have nothing. It's there and, and that's socialism. But, but when you're standing, standing up on a stage, and a guy, guy says, we're, we're going to wipe out, the the wipe out all costs for education. We're going to wipe out all health care. We're, we're going to give you single payer. Pay. They don't say that they're, they're going to wipe out 180 private plans and people all. But it's not, not as easy as people think. think. People, people think, think it's, it's easy. easy. It is easy in 10 years. It's not easy in <laughs> Because a lot of folks are going to say later, man, I vote for Trump. I agree with you. I'm to it. This guy's giving me everything. Not, Not that easy. So, so we, we have to work. We, we can, can never take it from the ground. We, we have, have to explain how bad it really is. We have
2: to do it. The siren song of socialism, you know, at any other time in our history, uh, the, uh, that would be the kiss of death for the Democrats. But now they have an emerging new class that's been educated in our universities, state subsidized cultural Marxist indoctrination, and they're uh, they're old enough to vote now, and they're voting in huge numbers for socialism because they weren't well educated, they weren't taught the history of the Soviet Union and uh, Chi- uh, communist China, where over one hundred million people uh, were starved to death and murdered in order to implement these socialist uh, utopia. And where people have, you know, uh, basically no freedom or had in the Soviet Union and still have, don't have in China. Don't have uh, any freedom, don't have any prospects for economic success. And, um, and now we've got the, <laughs> the Democrats wanting to try the same failed experiment in the United States. All they have to do is look around them. But as Trump says, it's very seductive when you're telling people they can have free health care and you're telling people they can have free education, uh, housing as a right, and a guaranteed government job. If you are not educated on the disasters and the truth of all these matters, you might be tempted to go that way. And the Republicans are going to have to uh, become quite skilled at making sure that uh, people are warned off for the disaster that the Democrats have in, in store for them. This next clip I've got is a little bit of a long one, but uh, he's talking about trying to work in a bipartisan way with the Democrats on the infrastructure. And then uh, and then he talks about uh, the disaster on the border that the that the uh, Democrats are determined to perpetuate.
1: New Democrat majority in the House to work with us to rebuild our crumbling infrastructure. I think we're going to have something maybe we can do a bipartisan thing. Bring down the cost of health care and bring down the cost of prescription drugs. Bring down the cost. Thank you. I love that you're clapping for that because we have to talk quickly about it. To have this power in this room, how often do you get that? And we are going to finally secure our nation's borders. It's happening right now. And I said to Mexico last week, you know, they have the strongest immigration laws in the world. They don't have judges. Somebody gets on their land, they say, get out of here. Now. Somebody touches our land, we bring them into court. You need Perry Mason to represent that. They're here for years. They never come back for the trial. They say, let's bring them into court. We'll bring them in. We just stepped in our property. Bring them in. Be gentle. Bring them into court. And it's called Catch and Release. It may be the dumbest program in the history of the world. You catch them and you release them. Oh, wonderful. We've done a great job. And then you're going to come back, sir, in four years from now, January 14th. You're going to come back and we're going to give you a trial to see whether or not you can stay. But in the meantime, we're releasing you into our country. Now, only 2% come back to the trial. Okay? And those are not the smartest ones, to be honest with you. The ones that come back are not the smartest ones. The 98% are much smarter than the 2% that come back. It's terrible. But I said to Mexico, listen, you have the strongest immigration. They don't have courts. They don't have tax release. They don't have chain migration. They don't have visa lottery, a lottery. you pick a lottery, oh you're going to the United States. Congratulations to country. Do you think they put their best people in those places? What the hell were you people
2: thinking when you this? Now, the truth of the matter is, um, by any measure, Trump's efforts to secure the border have not been successful, and we've got to be honest about that. But it's not for lack of trying. This president has done everything in his power, including most recently declaring an emergency on the border to try to move this forward. He's been stymied by the courts, by the intransigent uh, Democrats in, in Congress. He even, he even offered to you know, deliver for, uh, for the Dreamers. But uh, the Democrats don't want to solve that issue. They want to keep it going so that they can use it. And uh, And the, the Republicans are going to have to remind people that uh, it wasn't for lack of trying that we haven't been able to solve this issue. We're going to run out to a break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Victor Davis Hanson to talk about his new book, The Case for Trump. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes, your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an America-first perspective. Our nation's leading institutions in government, the courts, and the media have become increasingly incompetent and corrupt and even overtly hostile to our nation's traditions and history. This has left patriotic middle Americans to doubt our nation's future and struggle to understand how we got here and, and really wonder... If we can, indeed, make America great again. Our guest today is Victor Davis Hanson. He's a professor emeritus at Cal State Fresno and senior fellow of the Hoover Institution. He's authored a new New York Times bestseller titled The Case for Trump. You can buy the book at Walmart, both online and in their stores. VDH, in my opinion, is our most articulate and insightful defender of Trump and the deplorables, And we're extremely honored to have him right now. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Your book makes a very readable argument on why middle America shocked the world and seized on this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to elect a true outsider to the presidency. Uh, Speak to that, if you would.
0: Yeah, I don't think people quite recognize what we did in 2000. we elected the first person without either military or political experience that was considered to have no chance of winning the nomination. And if he did, less chance of defeating uh, all of the money and resources of Hillary Clinton and even less chance of governing effectively. And yet, after two years, he's done all three of those. And that is by itself almost a referendum, not just on conventional wisdom, but maybe on the establishment. Itself, which was not able to, was to obtain 3% GDP in over 10 years or wasn't able to translate strategic uh, t- tactical victory in Afghanistan or Iraq or Syria or Libya their strategic advantage or just more or less told us to get used to China taking over the world and that free trade, with sacrosanct, even if it wasn't fair. And it kind of written off the interior of the country. And then this guy came in and said, That's establishment quackery. That's not true. We can, our fate's in our hands, and that was very appealing to people, especially where the election was going to be decided in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin, Iowa, North
2: Carolina. Well, you know, I'm sort of uh, from uh, that class of people that uh, came to be known as the deplorables, and I remember in the run-up to the election, uh, the circles that I ran in um, never bought into the uh, the notion that uh, Hillary Clinton was going to, you know, just trounce Donald Trump and that he didn't stand a chance, and we weren't that surprised when he won. Did do you think that they were just deceiving us with her invincibility, or if they actually believed that?
0: No, they did believe it. And remember, on the night of the election, the New York Times quoted uh, a variety of analytics and polls. Across the political spectrum, that said he had less than a 10% chance of winning that night. And what saved me is that although I work at the Hoover Institution, I'm allowed intellectuals and academics. I live on a farm where I'm speaking today out in the San Joaquin Valley. And I noticed things in blue California, that is in the red interior of that state. I saw people that I that had no business voting for Trump. I mean, they were Hispanics. They were middle-class housewives. They were... Uh, you name it, they weren't just all uh, working class white disaffected, and they were going to vote for Trump and I thought to myself, if a third of these people that nobody what's going to happen if people like them in key states, whether it's you know Wisconsin or Michigan where it's going to be decided and then I spent I teach at Hillsdale College every September, and I noticed that of the three elections I had seen there uh, the, the two thousand four eight and twelve, I had never seen a response of rural Michigan people like that. Uh, you know, you could see bumper stickers, signs, and then when I would report back to people at Stanford who were more uh, qualified as pollsters, uh, very sophisticated pollsters, I might add. I said, something's going on here. The rallies are huge. They're enthusiastic. He's getting stronger. He's getting weaker. Anything mm-hmm. that doesn't kill him makes him stronger. They kind of patted me on the head, so I, I thought he could win. I really did. But you're right. I think most people really believed genuinely that he had no chance. Yeah. And that helped him because, remember, she went down to Georgia and Arizona to, to run up the tally, she thought, and get a mandate while he was like a fox in the, in the hen house poaching uh, these blue states of the Midwest.
2: You know, I see a lot of parallels between you and Trump. You're both accomplished and successful. Uh, he, obviously, in business, and you uh, in academia, but you both sort of come from that muscular uh, tradition of work uh, that you speak about, uh, he in the construction well, field and you in agriculture, and you've both swam against the tide of of the, um, uh, the cultural and coastal elites. That cannot have made you know, I, life easy for you either.
0: Uh, well, you know, it didn't in academia. I mean, I've lost a lot of friends, a lot of people that I knew very well in the east coast especially and you know people at national review commentary magazine or all of the never trumpers i knew well a lot of my colleagues at stanford but it had no effect on where i live and the people that i know and like here in the san joaquin valley and they're very practical people i grew up with them so i don't know how to put it but they didn't i don't want to sound cynical or crude but the academic world doesn't really have anything I want. I mean, I like, I believe in, you know, university instruction and research and all that stuff. But on a day-to-day basis, it really doesn't, I don't really care all that much if somebody in the New York Times doesn't like what I wrote or some scholar says that I've sold out to Trump or somebody in the Bill Crystal group calls me a Nazi. I mean, I get angry, I reply to it. But in the day-to-day life, I don't, I mean, we don't, my wife and I, we, we don't, have friends in cocktail circuit we just go to the local diner and we have people who are farming we most of our friends are probably mexican american that grew up with me so it, it they had nothing i wanted to be quite blunt about it
2: well if uh bill crystal's not saying bad things about you you know you're doing something wrong but um <laughs> you know i understand logic
0: to that yeah, I, yeah. oh no I doubt
2: I understand why uh, the ruling elites despise Trump. You know, he he sort of betrayed them. Uh, he provokes them by skewering their sacred cows. Uh, but how did they so come to despise Middle America? They seem to be, you know, uh, from Hillary Clinton's deplorable content, which uh, Middle America wears as a badge of honor now. Uh, but there's been sort of a a, a war on. Uh, middle America and our histories and traditions that seems to have escaped uh, from the campuses.
0: Yeah, you know, that, that's a large part of the book. And it wasn't just the portal was predated that. You remember it was, my gosh, it was Peter Strzok saying that Walmart stunk in his text to Lisa Page. It was uh, Obama with the clingers. It was John McCain with the crazies. And I think it it was two reasons. One was they really felt that globalization had hollowed out, and it had to a lot, the industrial manufacturing sector. And then they confused cause and effect, and they thought, well, because these people are not doing well, they either deserve their fate or they're not doing well because it's their own fault. And the idea that Chinese asymmetrical trade or – trade with Asia, or Europe Europe is not symmetrical. They just didn't buy into it, but they blame the victims, so to speak. And then second, as you allude to, they've they don't. They've never been to Bakersfield, they've never been to Youngstown, they don't know people in this area of the Midwest. They Their granite counters, their wood floors, their arugula, their table grapes, their wine, they don't know the people who produce that or truck it into the cities, and they have to Kind of a benign contempt for them, and so and then they bought into this change. Well, I don't know. I mean. don't know if
2: it's benign contempt or not, uh, Professor. I heard one of the um, luminaries in the Never Trump world uh, ridicule deplorables for having bad teeth, and he seemed totally unaware. Yeah, no, they didn't. That,
0: that was Mr. Caputo at CNN. You're absolutely right. He's, he was at a rally, and he pointed to a person. So that person has more teeth, and everybody. I don't mean benign in them. In their intent, you're absolutely right, there's a viciousness about the intent. But what I meant was, I don't think it has, uh, it doesn't have a great effect. And we've learned that for all, take the example of the never-Trumpers. For all that vitriol, Trump got the same percentage of Republican voters as did McCain and Romney. So what I meant by benign is that it wasn't able to hurt Trump. And maybe with the independent voter, maybe not. It doesn't mean it they weren't, they didn't intend to hurt him, but they really showed the country they're pretty irrelevant and this demography of destiny that Obama pushed the hill we did that were identity politics and were are uh, tribal and the way we look superficially is who we are, not the content of our character and the white middle class is doomed. You know, when you, you read all this, white privilege, white privilege, then you look at the actual demographics, it's still seventy percent White country, and if you're going to demonize the 70 percent majority, you've got to figure a way out to win. And Hillary inherited all of the downside from Obama, the uh, you know, alienating the so-called cleaners, that she rebranded the deplorables. But she didn't have, inherit the upside because she was not able to get the minority vote to resonate to her in a way that another minority did, Obama. And so that's the Democrats' dilemma right now. How do we either restore some of the working white class, and I don't think this current agenda is gonna do it, or how do we get record minority turnout and solidarity to vote for people like Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders or Beto, who are leading currently in the polls? Meanwhile, Trump is like a fox. He's in their hen house, and he's poaching Hispanic voters, he's poaching black voters, he's poaching Midwestern voters. And uh, I don't get where they think now they're going to defeat Trump in 2020 since they haven't learned
2: anything. Well, they seem to think they can just uh, uh, buy the votes with promises, empty promises, I think most people would recognize, um, you know, for socialism and free stuff. But I I do want to touch on one thing, uh, you know, this whole idea of deplorables. I wrote an article uh, for American Thinker that uh, was titled Deplorable, Just Unjustly uh, Deplored. And Michael Caputo's comments was were just um, – illustrative to me. I, I know some of these people that've got bad teeth. They don't have bad teeth because they want to. It's because they're spending uh all their money, you know, trying to put a roof over their head and food on the table. Um with the meager uh wages that have been left by globalization and these people are so unaware of what their um coastal um prescriptions have done to the middle of the country um that they they feel emboldened to just insult them and degrade them. These are these people who no, insult you're the earth. Right.
0: You're right. And even their diagnosis was wrong. When that came out when I was sitting with an academic from Britain at Stanford. He had far worse teeth than anybody I've seen out here in the San Joaquin <laughs> Valley. And then when you have people like Melinda Byerly, a CEO who said that these were garbage people, their roads are full of ruts, their schools are bad and she's writing from Palo Alto and if anybody's ever driven in menlo park and palo alto city roads they're terrible and the, and the public schools are being abandoned by the left they've all sent their kids to new prep schools and so everything that she indicted uh middle america and when i go to the midwest and i do it often and i see these small communities i know they're hurting economically but the people are kind they're generous they, they're, they take pride in their communities and when i go to california where i live when i go to big cities i, I don't I see homeless people. I I was in San Diego not long ago. There's signs warning about a tuberculosis outbreak. There was a typhus outbreak in Los Angeles. Uh, Where I live, where I work at Stanford University, when I commute from my farm, uh, there's homeless people in Winnebago who park along the Stanford campus. So I don't get the arrogance about their communities that they're so much more stable, and yet they have all the advantages that came in through globalization, yet Culturally and sociologically and politically, they're pretty medieval. There's a wealthy class, and then there's a, a subservient uh, class that cooks their food, mows their lawn, changes their kids' diapers. Whereas in the mid Middle West, you see a, even though it's under economic assault, its traditions of middle class solidarity are much stronger.
2: You mentioned the middle ages there. You're a, a professor of the classics, uh, a doctor. Um. I I see certain parallels between uh, where we are now and um, the Dark Ages after the fall of Rome. Um, These uh, seem to be, the current Dark Ages, seem to be based on leftist pathologies, uh, you know, that are designed to deny reality and send us into some sort of alternate universe. Do you see parallels between... um, uh, today and the dark ages and can we hope for a renaissance
0: yeah i do because uh we're not emphasizing learning there's this ideology in the dark age it was the collapse of civilization and we're seeing that as well but when you don't have a middle class and you have this very wealthy global elite and then you have a subsidized poor and then the middle class is ridiculed for not having the romance of the poor but it doesn't have the quote-unquote culture of the wealthy. So it's demonized and it's under assault. And they're usually the stewardship, stewards of, you know, local schools, hospitals, PTA, Little League. And when you wipe them out or you try to wipe them out, then you get into a two society, dark age society. And and then when people don't believe in learning anymore. So if you go to a university, the catalogs today are ethnic studies, peace studies, environmental studies, black studies, women's studies, but they're not you Know the Civil War, or they're not Kant, or they're not civics, uh, Sp- Spanish literature, they're not how you know, civics, or they're not forensics and speaking. And th- the result is we're turning out these Alexandria, you know, Ocasio Cortez like honor students that really don't know anything about history and they're just ideological and they just. They're arrogant but they're ignorant and it's starting to filter through the society as you know when you get on an airliner or you get on a train or you go to the local department of motor vehicle you get the impression that the sophisticated society doesn't have enough competent people to run it anymore
2: and it it seems seems like it's getting worse and worse it's hard to believe uh, listening to her that uh, uh, Alexandria uh, Cortez has a economics degree from Boston University it seems like that uh, that institution ought to hang its head in shame in the short time yeah, we have left right in the short time we have left um i i know uh, you grew up in the central valley there in california and you continue to work the family farm uh, i was out in california in the 80s and um you know in that time the golden state truly was the golden state uh, had free college tuition uh, jobs were plentiful the uh, place was clean there was very little in the way of homelessness or, you know, and crime was under control. Uh, Has the decline of the golden state that you grew up in shaped your worldview? And do you see it as a cautionary tale for the rest of America?
0: I do, because it it was caused really by the global wealth that poured into Hollywood finance and especially Facebook, Apple, Google, you know, and what it made, we created a class, and that's where all the universities are, Caltech, UCLA, Stanford, USC, Berkeley. They created an elite that was never subject to the ramifications of their own ideology because they had such wealth. So 27% of our state were not born in the United States, and we have the highest uh, poverty rate of all the states. We have the highest gas taxes, highest income taxes, highest power costs. And what you're seeing is that a lot of people had all of these utopian ideas that they either had so much wealth to, uh, to get around them or to, even if they had to pay all of these taxes and astronomical uh, housing costs, they didn't really care because they were so wealthy. But it just, it just hollowed out the middle class and we had 4 million people leave. And then they thought that was great because they didn't like them and they brought in people from Asia and Mexico, many of them illegally. And the idea was, well, these people can serve us they can cut our lawns be our nannies and then we're going to patronize them and say we're for open borders but our own kids are going to go to these new prep schools along the california coastal corridor and we're going to have we don't want walls on the border, but we're going to have walls we want to cut off water to farming but not from hitchhiking for domestic water for san francisco so that's what the i think we have to remember that about socials they're usually very wealthy people and it's about power and they never expect to have to suffer along with the people who's uh, who's the result of their own policies. They have ways of getting around, and they're very arrogant, and they just they always hate the middle class. And that's I, what California is—it's a war in the middle class.
2: I noticed that your new governor Gavin Newsom is uh, planning a trip to El Salvador to try to address the refugee crisis, where people are fleeing that failed state uh, from gang violence and government corruption, and I I wondered why is he going to El Salvador for that? Because the middle class refugees are fleeing California in droves because of gang violence and government corruption.
0: Gang violence and government corruption is absolutely right. The California DMV has just admitted that uh, people were buying appointments and then selling, they were selling appointments for people because you can't get in there unless you have an appointment. They were and Those were on a market being sold the dmv chief admitted that the illegal alien bi- ballots were mixed with legal residents uh for motor voter registration and you know we have this 100 billion dollar fiasco called high-speed rail that's been canceled for the most part and you just it just goes on and on and on and we had a vote harvesting that, that really took seven congressional seats from republicans who had won on election day and so the whole, the whole state's uh, rationale is that we are so moral and we're so committed to social justice and equality result, the means necessary to that end are, are justified, even if they're illegal or unethical. ethical And that's the state. I mean, it, it's a beautiful state. It's one it was the most beautiful place to grow up on that fifth generation. And I'm speaking from my, the same house that my great-great-grandmother built in 1870. To see this state unwind, it's, it's tragic. It makes you want to fight, but it also makes you want to leave. It's, it's schizophrenic, the reaction to it.
2: It truly is uh, tragic. The light out in California and the geography is just fabulous, and uh, it's a shame that um, uh, that it's fallen into the hands of um, what appears to be, to me at least, cultural Marxist.
0: Dr. Hanson. That's a good description. Of- go ahead, sir. No, go ahead. Thank you for having me on today. I
2: appreciate it. No, I, I very much appreciate your time. Victor Davis Hanson is author of the New York Times bestseller, The Case for Trump. You can get the book at walmart.com or in the stores. And this is really a must read for any thoughtful Trump supporter. Professor Hanson, thank you again so much for, for being with us and for this book. And I hope you'll come back and join us on right now.
0: Yeah, I will. Thank you for having me. Thank you, sir. Thank you.
2: Well, that was a great honor to have Victor Davis Hanson on the show. And um, as I said, I think he is probably the most insightful and thoughtful of um, of the writers today on how Donald Trump rose to be this black swan president and um, a, a real redeemer of the deplorables that so much of the elites and academia seem to uh, holding contempt. Well, I want to get back now to our um, excerpts from Donald Trump's speech before the National Republican Congressional Campaign Committee, NRCCC, is it? Um he really uh had a stemwinder sort of a tour de force of the themes and issues he means to hit in the coming 2020 elections. So while um, the left wing cable outlets have been giving, you know, free campaign commercials in the form of town halls to, uh, to the Democrat candidates. Uh, president Trump has been, as he is, um, uh, known to do taking his case, uh, to the people. He had this, uh, this great rally in Grand Rapids. He is showing no sign of flagging in his energy and is in fact becoming even more Accomplished on the campaign trail and uh, in these excerpts that I'm playing for you. He was addressing um, House of uh, Representatives and getting ready for the 2020 elections and uh, exhorting them uh, to retake the house and telling them how to go about doing it. So our first uh, clip uh, as we take this topic back up, is going to be Trump on the Green New Deal and uh, and its uh, main champion, of course, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. So
1: nearly 100 House Democrats are promoting the biggest socialist takeover in U.S. history. That's what's happening. The Green New Deal will cost hundred trillion dollars. Nobody has any idea what that means. Hundred trillion dollars. I have wealthy friends who say, "Right out of trillion dollars." They have no idea. Anything. Just keep the Nobody has any idea. The Democrats are also proposing a massive government takeover of health care that would ban private health insurance. And that's a tremendous thing for us to run, because people want. We have 180 million people that want that. The Democratic plan would destroy American health care, bankrupt our country. Oh, forget it. Not even close and take away your private doctors. Now, I'm only afraid that we're going to be too hard on the Green New Deal. And they're not going to do it. Because I want them to do it. We don't want to have them knock it out before we get to running. Okay? So let's take it easy. I'm, I'm actually saying it's a wonderful thing, The Green New Deal. Done by a young bartender, 29 years old. A young bartender. Wonderful young woman. The Green New Deal. You know what? It's crazy. You know The first time I heard it, I said, that's the crazy thing. You have senators that are professionals, that you guys know, that have been there for a long time, white right hair, everything perfect. And they're standing behind her and they're shaking, they're petrified of her. We support the Green New Deal. How about the woman from Hawaii, the senator from Hawaii? Highly nice woman. Oh, bless. Crazy, lazy.
2: I'm glad. Crazy Maisie.
1: I'm going to get great points
2: from my wife for that.
1: But she was so angry to men, right? Remember, she was screaming at men. And and then they asked her about the green. I love it. They said, yeah, but you don't allow airplanes anymore, so you can't get to Hawaii. Oh, we have to work on something. So somebody jokingly said, we'll build a train to Hawaii. And she actually thought it was a decent idea. So now she supports it, because she thinks they're going to build a train to Hawaii. But they really believe this stuff. And, you know, it's like, it's the craziest it. thing they believe in, and we will have to do something. But don't do it too early <laughs> because don't kill it, because we want to be able to run against it. If they beat me with the Green New Deal, I deserve
2: to lose. <laughs> sure. Oh, my God. And, you know, I wish he had touched on the fact that uh, Mitch McConnell brought it up for a vote in the Senate, and they all ran and hid under their desk and just voted present gave an actual opportunity to put their vote where their mouth is, and they all uh, chickened out. So uh, we're running out of time. I'm trying to figure out which is the best uh, clip to beat, uh, to leave you with. I guess I will uh, just play you a little bit of his closing.
1: We're now the party of the American family, and we're the party of the American dream. Sure, so you are... In South Carolina, when I was going against a lot of different people, there were 12 people left. And I'll never forget, somebody came down and said, you have no idea what you've done. Thousands and tens of thousands of people are joining the Republican Party. It's never happened. They've never seen it before. And this happened in New Hampshire. It happened all over. It happens in Florida. It's happening now in Florida. I mean, I don't like to talk about leads too early, but we have an incredible lead in the state of Florida. We have an incredible lead in the state of Florida. We have a great lead in Pennsylvania, in North Carolina, in South Carolina. I mean, we have leads.
2: The party of the American dream, I love that. I hope uh, he keeps up with it. Um, really, the Democrats are doing everything they can to tear themselves apart. Um of course, they're going after Biden. I'm, I, I, th- I think that uh, whole thing has sort of gotten out of hand. It seems like his uh, his most passionate defenders are actually um, Tucker Carlson and, uh, and people on Fox News. I actually heard um, uh, one of his guests last night, um, Heather McDonald, uh, defending him. And I thought, well, why are we doing them any favors? But anyway... This is going to be a a great campaign. It's kind of a shame that it's starting so early, but I guess that's the world we live in now. And Trump is absolutely right. If the Republicans will just stand and fight, stop being ashamed of their convictions, um, speak them loudly and proudly, and get to the bottom of uh, these voter irregularities, I think it's all shaping up very well. Well, thank you for joining us for another edition of America First Radio come back and join us again tomorrow on the Mojo 50 radio network on iHeartRadio.
1: Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
0: Lucky